Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Kekla Magoon, an award-winning author of a number of books for young adults. The latest and the focus of this morning's conversation is Light It Up. I do want to note that young adult books are really a good read for adults of any age. This book is very insightful and helpful and thinking both of the Reverend Martin Luther King, whom we honor and recognize next weekend, and of Black History Month coming up next, I hope that we will gain some insights and awareness to find the peace of compassion and understanding and the will to make change as we consider the story of Light It Up. So let's meet Kekla now. Kekla Magoon, good morning. It is really so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And what a, an amazing and important author, writer, spokesperson, woman that you are. I, I'm just, this is the first book of yours that I've read, Light It Up. And I think it just has to be the beginning of going back to all your previous books. So Light It Up is just really phenomenal. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This is one of my passion projects. Um, Light It Up begins with the shooting death of a 13-year-old Black girl in her community by a police officer. And then it's a multiple viewpoint novel in which 15 different characters from within that community respond in the wake of this tragedy. So I have friends of the young girl who was killed. Um, I have community members who have been part of the community, have witnessed other tragedies, um, similar tragedies that have happened in their midst and, you know, grow frustrated and angry with bias, with police brutality, with racism in their community um, and are looking for ways to create change, ways to demand justice. And so clearly this is a novel that is drawn on everything I'm seeing happen in the world around me. A lot of real life cases, even though this is a fictionalized story, it's based on some very real issues. And um, hopefully because of the multiple viewpoint angle, um, invites discussion from people in the real world who have multiple viewpoints about um, these conversations and these tragedies and these issues. But looking at it from a community lens, looking at it from uh, sort of a closer to the ground <laughs> perspective as opposed to the intellectual pulled back race in America, bias, you know, laws and justice uh, conversation that we tend to have in the media, looking at loss, looking at tragedy, looking at it from a younger teen perspective. So that perspective is great because that's an important age to be looking at this at, but not to be mistaken to think of it as being just a YA novel. I think, as an adult, uh, I really appreciate it. And I think any adult would who really wants to get these important insights, because I think, you know, whether we want to think we have biases or not, we often are seeing all these various parts of our life in just these little slices. So I think this approach, the multiple viewpoint, Kekla, really is a, a great vehicle. I think so, too. And I think it really does promote conversation. It promotes an intergenerational dialogue, in fact, because the characters range in age from about 13, the same age as the young girl who was killed, to, you know, much older adults in the community um, who are participating in you know, the demonstrations or who, you know, sort of frown upon what's happening in the community um, to a police officer, to the daughter of the police officer who was the shooter of the young girl who's the same age, similar age to the girl who died um, and all the complexity of that. And so for me, looking at all these different perspectives and everybody's motivation and then what's driving everybody um, it shows just a different picture of the conversation that we've been having. And I do think that it appeals to readers of, of a variety of ages. It's definitely 
uh, appropriate for teenagers and is published as young adult fiction um, and is used in a lot of classrooms and as part of, you know, teen book groups and as part of um, uh, sort of current events curricula <laughs> in classrooms. Um, but it's also been an all community read, you know, for a city or, um, uh, you know, a college or something to look at these issues through a fictional lens to give you just that little bit of space from what's real, um, but allowing you to talk about the really complex emotions and, and issues that are at play in, in this country. And I really appreciate how you are able to have these different viewpoints that you bring to it. I, it just... I, I I admire you, and I'm so intrigued that you are able to do that. I, I, now, have your other novels been like this? Is this unique? How does how have you come to this approach? It's pretty unique. This is the second novel that I've done in this style. There's a, a novel that I published in 2014 with the same publisher, Macmillan Henry Holt, that is called How It Went Down. And that is about the controversial shooting of a black teen by a white man, not a police officer in this same community where um, the fictional shooting death in Light It Up occurs. And so playing those two novels against each other, you know, they're standalone. You don't have to read one to understand the other, but they are in conversation with one another. And it's another multiple viewpoint novel with about 18 characters looking at um, the shooting death of a teen boy. And that, that, um, novel I started working on in 2012 after Trayvon Martin was killed. And, um, you know, at that time we were just sort of rekindling a national conversation around police brutality. Of course it has been with us all along, but Trayvon Martin's particular case brought uh, a, a national media attention to these issues that wasn't there before. And in the years since, we've seen a, an evolution in the way that communities respond and the way that protest has unfolded. And so when I was writing How It Went Down in 2014, um, you know, Black Lives Matter was barely a hashtag. It was not yet a global movement and an organization uh, working for justice. And so looking at how that, that shift happened over the course of me writing that novel in 2012, 2013, and that novel came out in 2014 when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, Missouri, when shortly after that, Freddie Gray was killed in Baltimore. Um, Eric Garner was choked to death in Staten Island. Those, those stories led to, you know, protests in the streets. They led to communities rising up um, and demanding justice and, you know, waiting for a grand jury to come down and, 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 and just being really frustrated, right? And we saw a lot of anger and frustration pouring out in various ways. And we saw an extremely militarized version of policing. We've seen white supremacist organizations and white nationalist organizations demonstrating um, their beliefs very openly, which is something we hadn't seen quite in that way for quite a while. So, after having written How It Went Down and watching everything that happened after that, I felt that I needed to continue that story to um, to show how much had changed, to show what was really happening now as opposed to what had been happening in 2012 when I started these projects. So this these these two books are very unique, you know, in the landscape of young adult literature and the landscape, I think, of literature in general um, for the way that I do this multiple viewpoint exploration and um, for the for the particular angles, multiple angles that I come at these issues. As a reader, I really appreciate it as a, as a person, human being living on this planet, living in this country at this time, I greatly appreciate it because it gives insights that we 
truly, even as open as we want to think we are, I think it really gives us important insights that we just don't have a clue about unless we walk in your shoes. And, you know, how much can we do of that, really? So you give us that opportunity, I feel. Yes. And one of the things that inspired me about the book was, you know, I would be watching the news and everything is so truncated. Everything expects is expected to be handled in you know a 60 second spot or a two minute spot. Um, and so you see people sort of rushing through an argument or trying to boil a very complex issue down to a soundbite or two, which isn't really possible when you're talking about things as systemic and as broad sweeping as racism and bias and, you know, the way that our communities are policed. It's hard to, to boil that down to a tweet level <laughs> um, sentiment. And so I felt that, you know, I would be watching the news and I would see somebody say something that, you know, whether I agreed with it or not, more often I didn't agree with it. I would see something said and I would go, okay, so all I have of this moment is that one phrase, that one sort of slogan or catchy, pithy um, soundbite. Who is the person that holds that belief? What has happened in their life to lead them to that belief? How do you, how do people form these ideas and what, what is, what else is there to this person other than that one soundbite that I find so abhorrent, right? And so the idea of exploring that and taking that soundbite and turning that into a person and trying to see where that person is coming from, to me is really interesting because I think that in order to undo some of these biases and in order to unpack the collective trauma of all of this, we have to really, we have to go back further than we tend to go. Um, and we have to look deeper than we tend to look. And for me, fiction is a lens through which we can look really deeply at who people are and how people's views are shaped and how they act from a place of motivation. And if we can understand the motivation beyond just agreeing or disagreeing with their actions or their words, if we can understand the motivation behind it, that gives us new tools to approach that person with a different idea or um, new tools to approach people who think the way that person does with um, with compassion, but with the idea of, you know, <laughs> spreading education and spreading um, an understanding about our own views with people who disagree with us. I mean, I do think that there's value in in trying to understand where people are coming from. And that doesn't mean, you know, holding all views as equal, but acknowledging that all views do exist and trying to figure out how to work with them and how to change them in the case of, you know, things that I might view as, you know, really problematic or really um, disturbing. Like, how do I work with that and not just push it away? So idealistically, if we could all embrace it, I mean, all of us, to look at it that way, to want to come together, to have that conversation, I could see that we might have success it, it really in moving forward and and being able to to live uh, with justice and peace and liberty. I think so. Yes, I think you know. I think that there's a process of education that has to happen for all of us because these issues are really systemic. You know, we have had racism in this country since it was founded, since before it was founded, and um, and some of the systems that are in place in our country are built upon the expectation that people are going to be treated unequally, right? And so that, like, how do we sort of undo that? And how do we examine that without, you know, going as deep into ourselves and our own um, perspectives and experiences and expectations and, you know, entitlement and, yeah. um, and, and 
and and really looking at where that comes from and how to make ourselves see each other as equal. So in in your own personal life, what has been your um background education like there's so much about psychology and personal understanding and development and understanding of others and and wanting to do this so so how do you as a person come to this kekla uh, i mean i'm definitely interested in psychology i think that's something that's very important to writing in general and, and particularly to fiction writing um i don't have you know any experience with clinical psychology but just you know watching how people behave and understanding the ways that people operate is something that's important to me. And, you know, I mean, I, I went to Northwestern University and I majored in history. So I've studied the history of this country and some aspects of world history, um, specifically looking at the ways that we choose to tell history and the ways that we choose to talk about the, the struggles that we've experienced. And, and, and I, as a as a black woman, I'm, I'm biracial. Um, my dad is black. My mom is white. And so a lot of my writing is about, you know, that experience of being black and biracial and about the sense that history and even present day history, right? The way that we capture history in the moment <laughs> is often told through a very particular lens, a particular lens that skews toward white, heterosexual, cisgendered male viewpoint. Um, and, and that, that, that lens um, is useful for certain things, but it isn't the be all end all. And so one of my interests in terms of history has been looking at the way that history is told from different viewpoints, how history is told through an African-American perspective, how history might be told through an immigrant, an immigrant perspective. And the idea of what an immigrant even is has transformed over time, right? And, um, and, and who is defined as American and who is not, it has transformed over time and, and um, in all kinds of directions. And so for me, looking at history has led me to a deeper understanding of how we ended up where we are today and the issues that are going on today. And so for me, um, writing about present day social justice issues is partly about bringing in um, knowledge of the historical movements that have led us to the place we are now, what we can learn from those movements, how we can use them in our work today, and um, and how we can reframe some of the history that we tell ourselves in a particular way to understand how all of these issues, racism, bias, police brutality, all the nuances of systemic racism and systemic injustice have shaped us and how they've led us to where we are. And so I think by writing about contemporary issues that are very interesting to people, they're compelling to people, um, it is a, an open door into learning about some of that history. And so I do work some of that history about the civil rights movement, about um, the way that people approached, young people in particular, approached this type of change in previous decades. Um, I do sort of open the door to that learning in the mm -hmm. course of this book and having some characters talk from a little bit more of an intellectual perspective about social justice and what that looks like and what it means. Um, so for me, that's that's a really important piece of this. And, and one one of my ways into the story is is my my experience with history and my love of, of African-American history. And we are the ones who benefit greatly from this. And it's, you know, I don't say this lightly, that I feel we owe it to ourselves to read Light It Up. 
because we have so much to learn and not maybe we won't necessarily agree with everything i i don't know i think i i just love this approach where there's a way to look at it from all these different perspectives and hopefully that is a lesson that we can take away from light it up i hope so absolutely i you know there's 15 viewpoints in the book i think the book itself has some degree of a viewpoint um that's pretty clear but i think the reader plays a role in that like the reader gets to be more a part of making the book what it is than you typically are in a novel because there are all these different viewpoints because it is a vignette structure so there are um there's you know there are pieces of information given about each character there's pieces of information given about each perspective and a lot of different ideas introduced but the reader essentially becomes a 16th viewpoint in the book the you know it's the type of story where you know, there are a lot of story arcs and character arcs and a, a good amount of resolution, I believe, but there's also some things that aren't fully, you know, explained, that aren't fully resolved because of the nature of the story and the fact that these things aren't <laughs> aren't fully resolved in the world. And so the reader plays a strong role in shaping the, the book that that they read. So I think that, that that's part of the power of that multiple viewpoint approach is that the reader gets to help write the story a little bit more than normal and for me that's an empowering thing uh, you know an empowering thing to offer a reader the ability to help write the story the ability to see themselves as having a voice in these issues and hopefully to take that voice into the world to you know have real conversations and to be part of change and to be someone who goes out into the world and uses their voice to move the world in the direction they want to see it move um, and I think that that's a powerful thing to offer, especially to offer young teenagers, but often um, to offer everyone because we don't always own our own voices. We don't always own our own power. We, you know, we watch media and we absorb what people are telling us and we, we, we want those to be the answers. But sometimes the answers come from our own analysis and our own perspective. And I think that this book invites people to form their own opinion and invites people to to have conversations and and make change and learn and grow. And that to me is really exciting and and empowering. Truly, it it is all of that. And the fact that you actually do have school visits, you uh, have an opportunity to speak with teens that way, and you speak at libraries as well, so that, you know, the general public can also have that experience. And and we can learn so much from that. I'm very excited for the fact that that you are in the schools uh, with some of the students. And I imagine they would embrace this. This is such a way for them to really be engaged in what's happening instead of just a lot of theory. Exactly. They really do enjoy it. They love being part of the conversation. They love being invited to the conversation. So often teenagers are the ones who are on the front lines of social justice movements. They are the ones who have this investment in the future and making it the way that they need it to be, making, you know, this world the world they need it to be. And so they're doing that work, but they often do it in a somewhat invisible way or in a way that feels counter to (laughs) the mainstream culture because they're not invited to the grown-ups table so to speak even though they should be right they're approaching 18 they're approaching voting age they're going to be movers and shakers in the world in just a short time and some of them are realizing that they can take the bull by the horn so to speak and you know be those kind of change makers right now without waiting for the world to invite them and so that you know i'm trying to speak to that 
um, energy in our young people. And also to, I guess, remind all of us that, that it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be someone who makes a difference. You can be someone who goes out and makes change. And, and I think when I go to schools, one of the things that they get excited about, the teenagers get excited about is the fact that this story frames the conversation from the perspective of teenagers and young adults. So most of the characters are between like 13 and I would say like 25, there may be some, a few older than that, but the, they don't often get to be the center of attention when this story is played out on the media with the exception of being often the person who was killed, right. Is a young teenager, but the people talking about it are all much older. And so, you know, you don't see, the friends of, you know, a young black person who was shot, like being interviewed on CNN, you see a law professor from some major university, right, talking about it in an intellectual fashion. But what if that's your community? What if that's your friend? What if that's your neighborhood? What does it feel like to be a young black person walking down the street in a hoodie, worrying what people think about you and carrying the weight of what has happened, carrying the weight of what could happen? Um, And so that is really a powerful dialogue that I can have with teenagers, but that teenagers can also have within their own communities with their parents, with their communities, with, um, you know, people in libraries or, or houses of worship, you know, there's all sorts of opportunities that this book opens for dialogue across identity elements and across age um, and across geography. And it, this is so critically important. It's not just, oh, this is a good uh, conversation we should have. This is critical life and death and the future. So I, you know, I just am just so impressed and, and taken by the way that you have approached this and really draw us in so we can, ex- it's experiential, I guess, is what it is, Kekla, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's meant to invite you, you the reader, in. It's meant to provoke dialogue. It's meant to provoke thought and hopefully a different kind of thought than you've engaged in before. Precisely, yes. And which is why starting with uh, with teens, because they're still kind of looking at, you know, who am I and what am I going to be, that at that formative time, it's it's really great to put in some stimulating insights like this. And for those who are older, maybe a little more set, hopefully it still kind of has a way of uh, tugging at a conscience or tugging at a heartstring or just tugging in general. Maybe it's a gut punch. (laughs) Yeah, I think it can be. And I think, you know, the multiple viewpoints allows for lots of different points of connection. And it's a vignetted structure. So a lot of the sections are really short. And so I think that it, it pulls people in because it's easy to, it's easy to read, you know, you can you look at a section or two, and you just kind of feel pulled along by, oh, like, that's interesting. It's like a lot of a lot of little, like a series of little gut punches, I think, yeah. um, in terms of all of these moments um, at, that I'm looking at through this, you know, kind of microscopic lens. Like, what is what is this exact moment feel like, you know, in the wake of this tragedy? And and looking at some, you know, not just in a blanket sense, right? You know, oh, there's a death, and then there's everybody finds out, and there's a protest, and there's a funeral. But like, what is, what are these different people? from their different perspectives, experiencing at each stage of this timeline. And it's so important because, tragically, these are too many of the news stories we see. But seeing it as a news story just puts it out there. This, we immerse ourselves and get that guttural feeling, I feel, of, of 
what's important. And uh, it's such a talent and an important kind of work that you're doing, Kekla, to be able to bring it to the story, this important part of life to us. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's it's something that it feels very important to me, and I hope that it ends up feeling important to my readers. Yeah. So, website. Let's mention that because that's a great source of information. Sure. My name is Kekla Magoon. That's K-E-K-L-A-M-A-G-O-O-N dot com is my website. And um, you can also look for the book, Light It Up, at your local independent bookstore or wherever you shop online. You can also visit the Macmillan Young Adult Publishing site, which is fiercereads.com. That's F-I-E-R-C-E-R-E-A-D-S.com, Fierce Reads. And the book is called Light It Up. I'm Kekla Magoon. It's it's so incredibly important. And you've had these experiences in classrooms with students and teachers. And of course, the response has been good. Like you were saying that the youth really appreciate having their voices heard, uh, people really listening to them. Yeah, it's definitely been well received, um, especially by students and teachers alike, by librarians. Um, you know, I attend, a, I attend a lot of conferences for teachers and librarians and people who work with young, young readers and young writers. And, you know, I think it, it's definitely reaching them because it's, it's content that they're interested in in the world, but it's coming at it from this different lens. It's inviting their perspective by, you know, letting them be the 16th viewpoint in the story, um, as well as, you know, it allows for some curriculum connections between what's going on in the real world, what you might see in the newspaper, and an emotional experience that's happening to these fictional characters. And so it gives a lot of opportunities for teachers to, you know, use the story in a lot of different ways to make very rich connections and, and uh, promote a really important dialogue with their, with their young people. Which is what we're looking for in classrooms, to really make it relevant and light it up really has every opportunity to make it uh, just that, relevant. Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, just quickly, you're probably already in the midst of working on the next book. I am. Uh, I'm working on a nonfiction book that is about the Black Panther Party, um, the history of the Black Panther Party, which is, you know, the 1960s civil rights era, 1970s. Um, And so I'm looking at the the Black Panther Party as it emerged from the civil rights movement and how it's relevant to the calls for justice and the action that young people are taking today through organizations like Black Lives Matter and through other movements. Um, so it's a, it's a young adult nonfiction text about, about that movement and, and also about sort of where we've, where we've come <laughs> since the civil rights movement, which, you know, when I was growing up, we talked about the civil rights era as if we had solved all racial problems in 1968 and now everything was fine. You know, that's what people were sort of saying in the late 80s and early 90s. And I think as time has gone on, we have been able to talk more about why that is not true <laughs> in our present day and time. We're still experiencing a lot of the same problems we were experiencing when Malcolm X was writing about, <laughs> um, you know, systemic racism and the the laws of segregation have been overturned, but there's a lot of other things um, still in our systems and still in our laws that 
that allow bias to continue and allow racism to continue. And so looking at that history, like I was saying before, that history is really important to me um, and conveying that history to young people is really important to me. So this, this, not, this nonfiction piece connects to several other novels that I've written about the civil rights movement, um, historical fiction about the civil rights movement. Well, Kekla Magoon, I think you are so truly amazing. You are just such a strong, powerful voice. I appreciate so greatly the work that you're doing, this important work, and that you've taken time with us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Kekla Magoon and Sunday Morning Magazine with Elizabeth Melendez Fisher-Good. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Simply click on the podcast tab and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of 2020 vision for the big challenges that need our attention and action for change. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning. <laughs>